Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and on today's episode, I did an interview with B.A. Paris while I was in New York City for uh, Book Expo America. B.A. Paris is best known for her debut novel, Behind Closed Doors, which came out in 2016 and went on to be an immediate bestseller. Uh, It sold a crazy amount of copies, uh, was number one in the New York Times bestsellers list, and it was amazing to talk to B.A. because she wrote that book really just for herself. She didn't know anything about the publishing world. She didn't know what to expect. So when her publisher told her that For example, it had sold 100,000 copies in the first week in England alone. Uh, She assumed everyone did that, which was adorable. Uh, B.A. grew up in England and spent a lot of her adult life in France. Um, And what we were discussing mostly in this episode is her latest book, which comes out um, July 18th, so the day after this episode is actually released, I believe. Uh, Her new book is called The Breakdown. And... In this episode, we talk about both books, uh, but we get into you know just her experience as a writer and if she felt any more pressure with this book because there's expectations and um, how she came about her ideas and they're the really almost innocent way that she comes up with her ideas that leads you know it, it just goes to show you that you can find an interesting story anywhere as long as you're willing to kind of tease out details all along the way and use your imagination. Uh, there's a part in this in the very middle of the episode where it, it might sound, sound like it kind of cuts and, and jumps time, and it does just a few minutes. The reason being uh, B.A. accidentally told me a little bit too much of the plot, and we didn't want to keep that in the recording. Uh, you know, Don't want to give away any spoilers or anything at the end of the book. So uh, that's, that's what you're hearing. You, you didn't miss a part. You, you know, it's not something that there is no issue with the recording or your download. It just it jumps. Um, I try to make it as smooth as possible, and I think it sounds okay. But you know, we're not a professional sound editor, so there's only so much I could do. Um, but yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can always email both Jill and I at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us at probooknerds if you're looking for book recommendations, you want to give us your thoughts. If you want to hear an author that you haven't heard yet on the podcast, you're welcome to do that as well. You can also find me on Goodreads. My name is Adam Sokol, S-O-C-K-E-L. I love getting new friends there. And if you have been a fan of the show or if you're new and you're really enjoying it, If you want to go into iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening to your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and maybe leave a nice happy review, uh, it helps people find us just a little bit easier. So um, that's everything we've got for today. Uh, I'm really excited for you to to listen to this. BA was a delight to speak with. Um, And there's a whole bunch of nice little tidbits in here that people who are fans of her work may not have known about. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview with BA Paris on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam again from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by B.A. Paris, who is the author of the international smash hit Behind Closed Doors, which sold more than 100,000 copies in its first week of release in Britain alone, going on to be a New York Times bestseller that's been published in more than 35 countries. Her next novel, The Breakdown, comes out on July 18th of this year. B.A., thank you so much for joining us today. 
I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, I don't know how many people out there have not read Behind Closed Doors at this point, but I have some questions for you about it. So, for people who maybe haven't, can you give us a brief introduction to that title? Uh, Behind Closed Doors, I chose the title with my editor and my agent because, uh, well, it just seemed to sum up. I think all of us have um, neighbours or friends and they seem to be the perfect couple. Uh, but we don't really know what goes on behind their closed doors, so it just seemed to sum up, you know, we're always wondering about other people, we're always quite curious as to see what they're really like, so it seemed to be the perfect title for the book. I'm going to assume that these characters are heightened versions of those people in your life that you've seen. I Obviously, I'm not asking you to call it any real people, but I can't imagine these types of events occurred around your life. No, I got the idea from a book because I did have a friend a long time ago and there were one or two things that made me think that she might be a little bit controlled by her husband and I just thought that would make a good idea for a book one day but then I sat down to write it and of course I never expected it to be so dark I don't think my friend was going through anything like uh, Grace in the book but it just grew from there really so, Okay, so that actually kind of plays into the writing process questions of, of creating a, this story when you first started writing Behind Closed Doors, did you have sort of a fully fleshed out narrative that you wanted to tell or was it mainly, I have like a, a nugget of an idea and I'm going to see where it goes from there? It was exactly that. I had a nugget of an idea about um, the couple uh, who seemed like the perfect couple and I knew they wouldn't be perfect. I also knew that there would be a friend who would help out Grace, the character, but I never thought, oh, there'll be Millie in it. I never thought about the dog, any of those things without giving up away too much of the story. Yeah. Um, that just happened as I wrote the story. <laughs> Millie just came into it by herself as if she said, I need to be here. I need to give Grace a reason why she can't leave Jack. Right. And, and it just grew from there, really. Um, and so from a writing standpoint, did you always aspire to being a writer? Did you kind of grow up wanting to write books for a living? I always wanted to be a writer, but I always thought that I would just write children's stories because I have five daughters, I love telling them stories, and you know, I used to jot down stories for them, and I just thought that maybe one day I would get those published. I never expected to write a novel, really, so it's just come as a huge surprise. So, for the books, what were some of the books that you would read with your daughters? If they, other than like the stories that you would write, what were some of the ones that you guys oh, would share? The, my most fond memories are Harry Potter, of course. Right. My eldest daughter must have been about 10 when Harry Potter came out, and I remember I used to every night read them a couple of chapters, the three older ones. I have such great memories of that. But then, you know, one of we have these staple books that we I read to all five of them, things like uh, the Mog books. I don't really know about the Mog books there with them. So, yeah, standard books that came back all the time, but I have great memories of reading Harry Potter to them, and really that cemented their love of reading. I have to tell you, so my mother taught third and fourth grade for 39 years, and it sounds like I may be about the same age as your eldest, because I, when I first read the first Harry Potter book, it was just coming out, and I think I was the same age, like eight, nine, yeah, or ten-ish. So people my age, we literally grew up with Harry. Yes, like, we yeah. kind of had the same experience. And my mom, in addition to reading it to me for the first time and reading it with me, she read it every single year when it came out to her third and fourth grade class. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's amazing. There, I think it's an amazing bonding experience, mm -hmm. this reading the books like that yeah. together, you know. And, that, and they... Everything they've done, which I feel like ad nauseum, I could talk about Harry Potter and J.K. Yeah. Rowling, but everything they've done with oh, the Harry Potter worlds and the first yeah. child and everything, it's just like a magical Amazing. experience. And what were some of the books you read when you were growing up? Well, I started in all the Enid Brighton books, 
my first book, um, I was about six or seven years old and I was ill in bed and my mother went down to the shops to buy me Lucozade, which is a kind of drink thing sure. with lots of energy in it. And she came back with a book for me. And until then, I'd never had books. Um, I had books at school, but I'd never had a, a book of my own. And it was The Circus of Adventure by Enid Blyton. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't put it down. And she came up to see me an hour or so later and I'd finished the book. And, um, and she went and bought me another one and I never stopped reading. And so I grew up on Enid Blight and then I progressed to all the Agatha Christie's when I was about 11, 12, 13. I read all the Agatha Christie's <laughs> and after that I love Leon Uris and people like that. I used to read all his books, so yes. So what did you study when you went to university? Was it... I didn't go to university. No. So what were you? So what were you doing before you were a writer? So I was a teacher. Okay. First of all, um, well, at the very beginning, I worked in finance. Mm -hmm. That was my first job. I worked in finance. That sent me to Paris. I went into finance as soon as I left school when I was 18. That sent me to Paris three years later. Um, and so I was in finance for a while until I started having my children. I gave up work almost totally. Well, I did totally when I had my girls. And then when my youngest was about three or four. I wanted to go back to work, but not in finance, and I was looking for a job where, that I could fit in around my daughters, so teaching seemed to be the ideal thing. And I was living in France, so it was fairly easy to convert to teaching English. And so I did a diploma, became an English teacher, and then I set up an English company with my husband, and because he left his job in finance, and so we began teaching English to students, but also business English in companies. And so that's what I was doing before I became a writer. And so, people can't see this because we're doing a podcast, but we are literally talking in front of a giant poster of your upcoming book, which is, it just feels so wonderful. We're sitting literally, there's, what would we say, like 30 feet, hall, 30 feet tall yeah, copy of The that. Breakdown. Yeah. So, when your first book came out, I mentioned this in our intro, it was an instant hit success. Before it came out, did your publisher, publicist, editor, you, did you have any inclination that it would see the success that it did right off the bat? Absolutely not. I had no idea at all. I wrote the book. I was delighted when it was going to be published. But my, the summit of my dream was going into a bookstore in England and seeing it on a shelf. Right. I didn't know that my book could be published into in, in other languages, translated into other languages. I didn't know that um, you know the states would buy it. I didn't know it could be. I was very ignorant and naive about the book world. I didn't know anything about it. So it came as a total surprise to me. And even when my lovely editor in England was telling me your book sold 100,000 copies before, you know, in the first week, um, 66,000 pre-orders, and then she was saying it sold 200,000, it sold 300,000. I was just thinking, great, that's really nice. All the other authors do that as well. <laughs> I had no idea until I remember when I'd sold 500,000. That was about five months after publication. Um, they invited me over to England, and I had they gave me a champagne celebration. And I remember saying to her, so, is it really good then to sell 500,000 copies? And she said, it, it's amazing. And I didn't know, I had nothing to measure it against. Yeah. Nothing. And I remember saying to her, but you told me when I'd had 66 pre-orders, 66,000 pre-orders, that was good. And she said, but it is. That's she said, it's just amazing. She said, people, you know, authors don't even sell that many books, you yeah. know, sometimes. And I had and so I was really naive about it. I mean, I didn't even know that 500,000 was an amazing figure. Yeah. I had, you know. Well, and not only that, you say that I'm laughing because the 66,000 pre-orders, that's a large number for someone who has 25 books out. This was your first book that you read. It was a I debut, know. and so it was entirely... You know, word of mouth and reviews yeah. and uh -huh. um, so you're saying that you know in your mind it wasn't, it wasn't you didn't have anything to compare it to but 
So did, did you feel your life kind of shift a little bit after that happened? Um, the main way my life shifted was that I was actually getting out to the house and being going over to England to meet my agent and editor, and I was really happy with that. And then, you know, then I started hearing that it had been sold to this country and that country, and it's now at 36 countries mm-hmm. behind closed doors. So, yeah, I, I gathered that there was something amazing going on, but still, I, you know, I really didn't realise, and I still think it really hasn't hit me, but it was mm-hmm. good because, you know, I wasn't expecting anything, so... I'm taking the words of somebody that just said something. It's actually, it wasn't even my dream. It's actually more than my dream. Right. You know, my dream was to go in and see it in a shop. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any other bigger dream than that. And so. now you can see it in a shop in 36 countries. <laughs> if I want to, yeah. I've started getting the, yeah. the translations in, which is lovely. Uh, so, okay. So, in regards to some of the characters, so many people were, are, continue to be infuriated by Jack for good reason. Not a great human being. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to get spoilery, but... When you were writing this character who is not a great person, what emotionally did you feel connected to your characters while you were going through this, or were you able to disconnect? I've had a lot of conversations with authors who will say that they'll write a horrible scene in their book and then they'll have to remove themselves and go have a glass of wine or kind of like, for you, what, what was the emotional process there? No, it was just an amazing experience because I actually felt it wasn't me writing the book. Okay. When I started off, um, Grace and Jack, yes, of course he was going to be controlling. I never had any idea that he would be like he was, but I actually felt, I, I can't describe it, but when I was writing that book, I felt that when I was writing each character's part, I was that character. They were in me and they were writing the book, which made it very easy for me to write Jack's character. Mm-hmm. And it was as if he was saying, no, make me worse than that. That's not good enough. <laughs> just, just, I can... I've got to be more evil than that. You know, I've got to be one step ahead. I've really got to be... And honestly, and I just found it... Fun is probably the wrong word. But no, I remember okay. being really just amazed at this whole experience of being taken over by the characters. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, the, I, I must admit that the part where he explained about his childhood, I absolutely hated writing that. I did it because I had to give him a backstory. Right. But whenever I went through my book after, I always jumped that chapter. I just couldn't bear to read it again. Uh-huh. And the only time I read it again was just before it was going to publication. I thought I'd better just check that just to make sure. But I absolutely hated that uh-huh. bit. I felt dirty writing that. I don't yeah. know, really horrible writing that bit. But the rest of it, when he was, you know, getting one step ahead of Grace and all that, I quite, I found that really intriguing. So that, that one chapter, you were basically told your editor, like, I'm going to trust your notes on this, but I'm not going to go yep. back. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I, I, uh, and then, so what about for Millie? Can you maybe take us through constructing that character, constructing someone who is the reason that, you know, things kind of remain the status quo in the book? Millie. Millie, yeah, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes, um, Millie. Millie as well, as, as I said, I didn't really plan. I just, she just wrote herself in. She just came in and I thought, yes. And I think it was because I knew that people would say, why doesn't Grace just walk away? She's intelligent. She's, you know, she's educated. She's a clever woman. So why doesn't she just walk away? And I know, because I've had letters from several readers, that people, women do find themselves in that situation and they don't walk away and they don't have children, they don't have people dependent on them, but they are so brainwashed to thinking that they can't do anything mm-hmm. that they don't walk away. But I knew that readers, a lot of readers would say, oh, this is ridiculous, she could just walk away. So Millie came into it to give Grace an anchor, a reason why she couldn't walk away because she had somebody dependent on her, which I think is the case of a lot of women in these kind of abusive situations. There are some that don't walk away because they have children. So, you know, so yes, Millie wrote herself into this book and she is the best character. And as soon as she was there, I knew that she had to be the one to save the day. Sure. You know, that is what I wanted. I wanted Absolutely. Millie to, you know, I love Millie. 
And so earlier this year, it was announced that Behind Closed Doors is being adapted into a film as well. So A, kind of the same thing. What was that feeling like seeing that? And, and B, are you getting to be involved in the process at all? Yeah, um, yeah, just amazing. I mean, people were saying this would make a great film, and I was thinking, actually, yes, it would. But I didn't think that anybody, and actually, it was bought. The, it, I think it was bought the minute it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, Stone Village put an offer in as soon as as soon as it was published in England. Incredible. And um, yes, and I feel very fortunate because. Uh, Melissa Hilfers is adapting the screenplay and I'm actually meeting her on Monday so I'm really excited about that and we've had a phone conversation where she's you know we've spoken about what she's going to do she's writing the script at the minute mm -hmm. and you know she wants to remain as true to the story as possible although you know that she might have to change some sure. things and that's absolutely okay you know I'm absolutely fine with that but it's so exciting because it seems as if it really is going to happen. I love hearing you say that they want to stick so close to the story because that's my favorite types of movies that yeah. come from books is keeping them true because I'm one of those people who will sit in a theater and say that's not what happened in the book know, you've been so enraged that's, that's really I know I know and of course sometimes um, you know sometimes you can't stick exactly to the story but the fact that they do want to try you know Melissa wants to try as much as possible that, that's great because it would be really strange to look at a book that I've written and actually not recognize it yeah Okay, I don't think I can ask any more questions about Behind Closed Doors without getting too spoilery, so yeah. I think we danced a good job along the line there. So, can you tell us a little bit about your next novel, The Breakdown, which is coming out very yes. shortly? The Breakdown. The Breakdown is a book that has two different strands going through it. It starts with um, Cass, uh, who is driving home one night through the woods in the middle of a storm, and she sees a car broken down on the side of the road, and she sees a woman in the car. and she stops but she doesn't dare get out of the car she waits for the woman to call for help or to flash her lights but the woman doesn't and she's worried about getting out of the car in case it's a trap so she doesn't know what to do she hesitates for a few minutes she waits uh, it's pouring with rain there's a big storm she's frightened sitting there in the end she drives off home and the next day she finds out without giving too much weight that the woman has been murdered and from there her, her life takes a downward spiral and she is also worried that she has dementia, early onset dementia, because her mother died of it very young. And all these things are happening, she's forgetting things. And so the two, the two stories are connected. Uh, the pressure, the guilt she feels about the woman in the car plays on her feelings of, uh, that she's forgetting things on her dementia and, and there we are. <laughs> so that's a little bit about the story. And so did this one kind of, did this, for along the same lines, did this, uh, come up because of things you've either, either seen in the news or just kind of stories that you experienced? Was this sort of along the same lines with Behind Closed Doors? Yeah, all my old books, anything I write, is always there's always something either I've experienced or something somebody tells me. And for Behind Closed Doors, I was actually driving home, but it was the afternoon and the sky suddenly darkened and it was like the middle of the night. And I was going through some woods and there was nobody around and there was pouring rain everywhere. And I just happened to think, oh gosh, what if I broke down? What would I do? Right. And then I thought, and what would happen if I saw a car broken down? Would I stop? And I thought, well, if there was a man in the car, no. If it was a woman, would I stop or not? And so it was a dilemma. And I thought, well, that would make a great st uh, starting point for a story. But Did it feel different than writing behind closed doors? Just because, to be honest, people know who you are now. And Yeah, it was definitely very, very difficult to write because I really had... Uh, when I wrote Behind Closed Doors, I was just writing it for myself. I didn't know it would be published, so I just wrote what I wanted. Mm -hmm. for, for the breakdown, I was very conscious of my readers, um, the people that had loved Behind Closed Doors. And I knew that a lot of them might buy my second book, and I really didn't want them to be disappointed. I wanted them to have the kind, same kind of reader experience. 
and so there was a huge amount of pressure to write a story that would keep them turning the pages and you know uh, so far the feedback has been great so I'm really grateful. And what is kind of from a general standpoint what are you most excited about right now from regards in regards to your, your writing and, and a new book coming out like what makes you most excited about releasing a new book to just people reading it. It's just great to get the feedback from readers. You know, I have to, I'm on Twitter. So many people tweet me and say, just finished your book, I loved it. And it's just to know that I've written a book that people are reading. And that is, there's something quite amazing about somebody loving the way you write and appreciating and saying thank you to you for writing the book, whereas you want to say thank you for reading it, you know. <laughs> and I just find, yeah, I'm just amazed that people in other countries are reading my book, that it's been translated into all these languages. I just find that absolutely really exciting really exciting and amazing and well actually everything's really exciting because I wasn't doing very much before so. <laughs> no but what you I love what you just said because it's so true I I think this one of my favorite things about the author reader relationship is you'll have people come up asking you to sign their book and they're so grateful that you wrote the book but at the same time it's without fail every author I've met is so grateful to the readers who are reading those books it's just a wonder you know you can I think there's different types of famous people, quote-unquote, you know, celebrities, where you'll say, thank you for that movie, and they'll just kind of brush it off. But I feel like authors really understand. Yeah. We're just so appreciative, I think. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to write something, and people actually want to read it, and they'll go to the trouble of going to buy it or listening to it, and, and there's something quite amazing. And then they'll contact the author and say, I loved your book. And the people that write reviews, that just blows me away, actually, because... I know what it's like to write a review. It takes ages to write a review. And, you know, they do this in their spare time. They like reviews of the books they like. So, yeah, yeah. all that's amazing. It, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm blown away by that side of it, which I never knew really existed. And so when you aren't writing or promoting books, how do you like to spend your free time? Uh, I don't really have any at the moment. I don't have. Since, it's really strange <laughs> because since being an author, a, a published author, um, I get asked to read an awful lot of books, so all my free time will be taken up maybe reading other authors' books. Sure. Um, and if I do have free time, I'm always writing anyway, because I would feel bad not not yeah. writing, and I want to write. But I suppose, if you, I mean, what I do love, I love baking. Mm-hmm. I'm a great cake maker. I mean, I don't, I don't mean my cakes are great, but what I mean is, well, they are actually yeah. <laughs> I actually love making cakes. And my daughters, I used to spend, before I was a writer, I used to spend my whole day making cakes for my daughters, uh-huh. you know. I love cooking, so. Yeah, I, so I'm very jealous of you. I, I will pat myself on the back. I'm a good cook, mm-hmm. and I can, I'm good in the kitchen, but baking, I like the kind of free form of cooking, of, you know, if I'm going to make a, yeah. a dish, I can add spice to it. You can't really do free form with baking. It's, no. They're specific, so yeah. I, I'm bad at following directions. I love I making cakes. Yeah. You know, cupcakes, any kind of cakes, like just desserts. I love making that sort of thing. So. And now I'm hungry because it's better all about <laughs> um, So towards the end of our podcast, we like to do nine. We call them rapid-fire questions, but they never are. We call them the nerd nine just because we like alliteration around here. You want one-word answers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so the first one is, what is the last book you finished? Um, it was um, Wendy Walker's book which is coming out soon, little plug for Wendy there, called Emma in the Night. I loved it. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Probably in bed. Uh, do you have a, a guilty pleasure? I always tell people what I consider that, like mine is, if you go on my Instagram, I, it's all pictures of my dogs, like just way, way too many pictures of my dogs. So something that you're like, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to anyway. 
No, I don't really. I don't no. really have anything. That's okay. That's no, okay. probably just eating chocolate. I always feel guilty when I eat chocolate. That's my guilty pleasure. Sure. I think it's a lot of people's guilty pleasure just eating chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Are you a coffee or a tea person? Um, both actually. Coffee in the morning, but then I do love tea. So because I'm English and. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, English, that makes so uh, British. Sorry, say British, not English. Don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> are uh, Are you a cat person or a dog person? We have a cat, so I'm more of a cat person. But we will have a dog eventually because my husband really wants a dog. Uh, what's one place in the world you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Probably Vietnam. Uh, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you choose? Oh my gosh, that I know. is so hard. I know, I'm sorry. That is the worst question out, but probably Oscar Wilde. That's a really good answer for... I'm just going to do it off the top of my head. No, I that's perfect. Loved, I always... absolutely loved, loved, loved to have met. I always tell Oscar people Wilde. Jim Henson, so that's yeah, really, that's yeah, really probably good. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. And then our last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? Um, because they're about women in difficult situations, I would like them to be aware that women can be in this sort of situation. Maybe look out for their friends. I mean, in Behind Closed Doors, you know, it's about a woman who can't speak out about it. And um, yet there is a friend that recognises something of what she's going through. And there are so many women out there going through things like this in either of those situations. And, you know, when I say that I've been really touched by the letters I've had from people who've said thank you for bringing this out into the open um, because I've gone through something really similar it might not have been Grace's situation exactly but something really similar and so you know that's what I hope they take away from that that's perfect thank you so much for joining us today thank you for inviting me it's been a great interview thank you readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com and listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.